Welcome to today's episode of the Pigskin Pulpit. I am your host, the Sideline Statsman, and today we're going to be switching some things up a little bit, bringing in, for the first time, a historical episode, mainly because the NFL Network is airing the all-time team list, and it's going to be airing tomorrow night at 8 o'clock Eastern Time on NFL Network. Starting off with running backs. They picked 24 running back finalists. And with a combination of Bill Belichick, Chris Collinsworth, and Rich Eisen, they're going to pick the 12 running backs of the 24 who will be on that all-time team. In addition, we are also going to talk about, as usual, the Week 12 predictions, our debate topic of the week, or the Change My Mind segment, as I like to call it now, and the winners and losers. So you know what time it is. Let's get it started. Let's get into this right now. Talking about the historical episode itself. Here I'm going to give my take for the 12 players I believe at the running back position should be on this all-time team. I'm going to give you 12 of my 24. But before we even get to that, you have to know who is on this list. Who are the 24 people? So, here you go. Here are the 24 for you. Marcus Allen, the famous running back for the Oakland Raiders during their time of John Madden. Very, very good running back. Quick. He's arguably the greatest running back in the history of the Oakland Raiders. I mean, that's, I think that's pretty accurate. Another guy, Jerome the Bus Bettis. Everyone knows him. A lot of, a lot of young people know him. They're going to know him more than they're going to know the rest of these guys, really. So, after Jerome Bettis, you've got Jim Brown, the greatest running back in the history of the Cleveland Browns. Earl Campbell, one of the most dynamic running backs I have seen ever. Watching highlights and everything for all these running backs, he's the most dynamic I've seen. Earl Dutch Clark, for all you fans who don't know, and for the uh, grandparents, the older people, you all know for a fact that Earl Dutch Clark was a quarterback hybrid. He played quarterback and running back, and he was very good at both positions. He was an early form of a dual-threat player. He played for the Lions back in the 30s and 40s, and also was responsible for bringing them a championship. Very good player. A lot of people forget about what he did. He's pretty much the grandfather of the dual-threat quarterback. Eric Dickerson, the greatest running back in the history of the Rams organization. Tony Dorsett the second best running back in the history of the Dallas Cowboys organization. If you don't know him, he was the running back during the time of Roger Staubach and Tom Landry. Marshall Falk, the second greatest running back in the history of the Rams organization. Red Grange, the father of the running back. He is he made the running back position what it is today for all his work he did Back with the Bears going back to the 20s and the 30s when it was first founded. Franco Harris, the best running back in the history of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Hugh McElhaney, for those who don't know, he is a fullback. 
who played also for the Bears at one point. Very good running back, earliest form of what a fullback should be and is. Lenny Moore, Baltimore Colts. Can't give you much more than that. Marion Motley, one of the best all-around football players of his era from the 40s and the 50s. Bronco Nagurski, in my opinion, one of the greatest fullbacks to ever play the game. Walter Payton, we all know who that is. Adrian Peterson. Barry Sanders, Detroit Lions. Gail Sayers, also played for the Bears right before Walter Payton. LaDainian Tomlinson, Emmett Smith, who has the record for the most rushing yards in a career. Arguably the greatest running back of all time. Jim Taylor, fullback from the Green Bay Packers back when they won their first two Super Bowls and were the most feared team in the NFL conference, in the NFL league itself, before the AFL merger with the NFL. Thurman Thomas, the second best Bills running back of all time. And O.J. Simpson, the best Bills running back of all time. And to end it all off, Steve Van Buren, the greatest running back in the history of the Philadelphia Eagles organization. Now that we got that out of the way, we want to go starting off breaking down the players that have to be on this list. So if I'm telling you the locks on this list, I'm starting off, if I'm taking the first pick, the first running back I am taking, I am taking Barry Sanders. Now, usually this would be the argument you get with Barry Sanders because he's a great running back, but he ended his career too short. That's a lot of an argument today. He retired at the age of 31, but hey, so did Jim Brown. Barry Sanders was one of the most electric running backs to ever hit the league, and unfortunately he was in an organization that didn't know how to win. But either way, he if he could have put him on any other team, he would have changed them automatically as well. Barry Sanders should be the first pick, and that is my first pick. He's a lock. Next one I'm going with, I'm taking Emmett Smith Cowboys. Very obvious why. He's got all he's pretty much got most of the rushing records. He proved what it means to be the true running back and be the true leader of a team. He did it all in the 90s for the Cowboys. Next up, another lock you're going Walter Payton. In my opinion, the greatest running back in the history of the Chicago Bears. No denying it. If it wasn't for his performance, the Bears wouldn't have gotten that Super Bowl in 1985. I don't care what that defense did. Even though they won 45-10, to 10, Walter Payton made that offense move and score those points. Because the passing game wasn't that good with Jim McMahon. So, on top of that, so now, just to recap, Walter Payton, Emmett Smith, Barry Sanders. Those are the three running backs, locks, absolutely. The next lock I'm going with, I'm taking Jim Brown, undoubtedly. Although he also ended his career short, there is no denying how great the player was and what Jim Brown means to the NFL community today. He wasn't just great on the field, off the field. He was amazing in the community. He showed what it meant to be a real sportsman. To show what it meant to care for your community. Jim Brown, you're on this list. So that's four already. The next one I'm going with, I'm taking, and a little bit of a surprising one, I'm taking Jim, I'm taking, wait, reading it over again. I am taking Gail Sayers, the second best running back in the history of the Chicago Bears, because Gail Sayers, if it wasn't for him as well, the Bears also would not have the running... They, he was just different. He was just different in every way he ran the ball. He was elusive. He was like your first example 
of a physical running back that didn't want to hit you straight in the teeth. All he wanted to do was get around, move quick, hustle to the end zone. He was the first version of a fast running back. Outside of Gail Sayers, so now we got five picks in. Okay? Now we only got seven spots left. My next pick, I thought about this very carefully. I'm taking Eric Dickerson, one of the most productive running backs of his time. He still holds the record for the most rushing yards in a single season. The man was unstoppable when he was on the field in the backfield. He was impossible to stop. That makes now six. We've got six spots left. We're halfway through already. So here's who you got left. You got Marcus Allen, Jerome Bettis, Earl Campbell, Earl Dutch Clark, Tony Dorsett, Marshall Falk, Red Grange, Franco Harris, Hugh McElhaney, Lenny Moore, Marion Motley, Bronco Nagurski, Adrian Peterson, Ladanian Tomlinson, Jim Taylor, Thurman Thomas, O.J. Simpson, and Steve Van Buren. Continuing now, we the next pick I'm going with, because this is where it all gets difficult, I'm taking Ladanian Tomlinson. The reason why is because if you look at every stat carefully, LaDainian Tomlinson's at least in the top 10 in every rushing category in a career and in a season. He's that good of a running back. Someone who has that much talent is somebody I want on my team. I'm taking LaDainian Tomlinson. That's seven. After that, the next back I want on the squad, another really tough pick. I'm taking Franco Harris, Pittsburgh Steelers, over Jerome Bettis. I think it's because simply Franco Harris is not only great in the run game, but if anybody ever remembers the famous Immaculate Reception, you know, the greatest play in the history of the NFL, he wasn't only great in the backfield, he was dynamic in that he could play both ends of the field. He could play in the receiving game and he could play in the run game. That's what made him so special and that's why I want him on my team. I want a dynamic, dual-threat running back. He can do it all. Next one I want, now that we have eight selected, there are four spots left. The next one I'm giving it to, I'm going with O.J. Simpson. I'm taking O.J. Simpson. I know there's a lot of controversy behind that, but ignore all the off-field issues. Ignore it. Block it out. O.J. Simpson is a great running back. He was one of the best running backs I've watched on tape. He is someone I want on my team because he is agile and he has the ability to make people miss And he has great vision. He recognizes situations well. That is somebody I want on my team. So, OJ, welcome to the squad. Three spots left now. We're going with, as my next pick, I need somebody I can rely on who's strong. I'm going to take Earl, I'm going to take, not Earl Campbell, I'm going to take Jim Taylor. I'm going to take Jim Taylor fullback from the Green Bay Packers. I need a guy who's physical, gets in the lane, creates his own holes, and gets the yardage we need. I'm taking Jim Taylor, one of the greatest fullbacks in the history of the NFL. Sorry, Bronco Nagurski, but you lost your spot. As great as you were, and as much of a pioneer as you were, Jim Taylor is just was just better than you. I'm taking Jim Taylor. That leaves two spots now. And with those two spots, the next one I'm taking will be... I'm going to take Earl Campbell, Houston Oilers... Simply for the fact of, I want an, a back who can work in two different elements. He's strong and he's quick. I want 
one that's elusive, but I want one that's not afraid to pound it down the man's throat. That's what I want to see. I want a guy who's tough. I want a guy who's resilient and doesn't give up on plays. He's my guy. I'm sticking with Earl Campbell as my running back, number 11. That leaves one spot. One spot remaining. The players you still have on the board are Marcus Allen, Jerome Bettis, Earl Dutch Clark, Tony Dorsett, Marshall Falk, Hugh McElhinney, Lenny Moore, Marion Motley, Red Grange, Bronco Nagurski, Adrian Peterson, Thurman Thomas, and Steve Van Buren. All are very good players. I want to put that out now. If you were made this list, that means you are one of the greatest running backs of all time. And this is no way intended to tarnish your record with who I'm about to pick. I want you to know that I simply did not pick you because I did this for a team, not for how good you, not for your standing all time as a running back. It was for what I need for my all time team. So with that being said, the last pick is down to Marcus Allen, Red Grange, and Marion Motley. Motley was an all-around running back. He was considered the best of his time and that no one could beat him. That's who he was. That's the kind of person he was as a player for his team. Marcus Allen could do everything as well. He's my all-around back too. I've seen him run down the field. He's got great breakaway speed. I want him on my team too. But I also have Red Grange because Red Grange is the founder of the running game. He knows what to do and I can use him in wildcat formations, flea flickers to get him to throw the ball down the field because he can play quarterback too. And because of that, I'm taking Red Grange as my final pick. Holler at me all you want. Red Grange is taking that final spot. I want a guy who can throw the ball too and we can use him in unique situations where we need him most. So I'm taking Red Grange. Plus, think about it. The farther back you go, the tougher the players were. The 1920s and 30s, when the founding happened, there weren't many rules in place. They wore leather caps. And they wore a nose guard that had a strap around it. To keep from breaking their nose. These guys played. They'd break each other's arms. That's what they did. He is the example of a tough running back, too. I want him on my team. And that is my 12. So just to recap, here are my 12, not in order. Jim Brown, Earl Campbell, Eric Dickerson, Red Grange, Franco Harris, Barry Sanders, Gail Sayers, Walter Payton, LaDainian Tomlinson, Emmett Smith, Jim Taylor, and O.J. Simpson. These running backs are mixes of quick outside breakaway speed, toughness, and getting and getting the ground and pound in, really getting through that defensive line, creating their own holes, and with running backs who are dynamic, can do both, and finally, a running the running backs who can be used in multiple different situations where they can't, where they're not going to act like a running back, like a quarterback or a receiver. You get the point. That's who I base my list on. I want dynamics. I want different all around, and that's what I got. You let me know. Who you think should be on your all-time running back team. You can let me know. DM me. Whatever you want to do. Email me even. Whatever you got to do. Send me a message or something. Tell me who your all-time running back team is. 
on Instagram or on Twitter. Instagram at the.sideline.statsman. Throw it in my DMs. Or Twitter at tstatsman. Throw that in my DMs. So, now that that's all finished, finally, after 15 minutes, or going on 16, let's say now we jump into the Week 12 predictions, shall we? Starting off with the Thursday night game, Indianapolis at Houston. Tough game. Again, every division game is tough. Indy-Houston's always been such a great matchup to watch. This time around, I'm going to give it to Houston. And it has nothing to do with because Houston's got a better offense. I do think it's because Houston's defense can suffocate Brissett in the passing game, and that's why they'll get an advantage for the win. And plus, we've seen a downturn this year for the Indianapolis Colts defense. It's been a little bit of a down year, but they're going to get better. So, I'm taking Houston. Moving on, I'm jumping into Seattle visiting Philadelphia. And again, this is a really tough game because Philly is always a good home team. But the fact of the matter is they have the worst receiving core in the NFL as we speak, yardage-wise, everything. Last, second, and last, whatever you want to label it. Either way, it's not good. So they got to rely harder on the run game. That's why they took AJ Jay Ajayi. So now, Miles Sanders, Jay Ajayi should be good to go this week. Maybe Jordan Howard. I can't tell you for sure. But what I do know is Seattle is not going to lose this game. They'll do whatever they can to stay in it, and that's why they're going to win it. Because Russell Wilson is going to abuse that secondary, and he's going to at least pass for 300 yards on the Philadelphia Eagles and get the win. The Detroit Lions are going to take on Washington and Washington at, at FedEx Field. And in my opinion, this is going to be should be a blowout. But I don't believe that Stafford's going to play. So because of that, I'm going to take Lions anyway with Jeff Driscoll. Okay, Even though they don't have Stafford, Jeff Driscoll can still throw the ball the length of the field. He's not as good, he's not as accurate, but he's got enough to overwhelm this horrible, horrible defense of the Redskins. They can't do anything. They can't even beat themselves out of a brown paper bag. The Lions win this week. Redskins take the loss. Moving on now, next game. Oakland Raiders are taking on the New York Jets at MetLife Stadium. Another game, Jets defense. You're not good in the secondary, but you're the number one run defense in the league. So Josh Jacobs is going to have a hard time running this week. That means Derek Carr has to go through the air and rely on receivers who they're going to need in next year's draft. But... Doesn't matter. Sam Darnold still got to deal with the Raiders secondary that has been holding strong as of as of late, and with the defensive line that is revamped, led by Max Crosby, who had four sacks last week. Four sacks, incredible game from him last week, unbelievable. So I think Max Crosby is going to get to Darnold about three times this week, get three sacks, and he's going to be the difference maker in the Raiders' victory as Carr. Struggles a little bit, but it doesn't mean they're not going to walk out with a win. Raiders go into MetLife, come out with the win. Carolina goes into the Superdome to take on the New Orleans Saints. The New Orleans Saints have had a tough go a little bit ever since Drew Brees got back. He's been a little bit unsteady, trying to ease his way back into the game. But once again, Kyle Allen's having a hard time too. I mean, if you didn't see the game last week, I'll tell you right now. Kyle Allen had four interceptions and no touchdowns last week against Atlanta. Not good. Not good whatsoever. So I have to trust Kyle Allen to 
beat the Saints secondary, led by Marshawn Lattimore. I have to somehow trust Christian McCaffrey to get by the Saints' top 10 ranked run defense. Hmm. Another tough one. Meanwhile, you got Alvin Kamara having to go up against the Panthers' run defense, which is not good. Not great. They got to... Drew Brees is going to have to have Michael Thomas and Ted Ginn going against the Panthers' secondary, which isn't even in the top half of the league. It's a mediocre secondary. So, um, I don't know who you think's the loser here. It's kind of obvious. I'm taking... New Orleans at home over Carolina for the win. Miami goes into Cleveland to take them on at First Energy Stadium. Interesting game. I think Miami might actually make this close because, you know, the O-line for the Cleveland Browns has a lot of uh, quote-unquote issues, which is an understatement. And the only way they're going to win this game is if they can somehow get Odell Beckham more involved, which they did last game, and that's why they went, they ended up beating the Steelers 21-7. We will talk about Miles Garrett at a different time. I do want to tell you right now, his accusation about the racial slur, I guarantee you, it's not true. He's just using that as of late to try to get attention diverted from himself and try to get Mason Rudolph implicated so his suspension goes down. And it didn't and they didn't believe him. They did an investigation. There's no true belief that that happened. They tried everything, checked audio, didn't happen. Miles Garrett, you deserve your suspension. Hope you hold on to it. Hope you get suspended into next season. Because that was one of the dirtiest plays I've ever seen. I don't care what Mason Rudolph do to you. You don't rip off his helmet. And you do definitely do not hit him over the head with it. Unsportsmanlike and not deserved. None whatsoever. If you want to get in his face, that's fine. But you are not ripping his helmet off. And you are not beating him with it. Ain't worth it. Ain't worth it. But losing Miles Garrett's going to hurt Cleveland because now they're going to lose their main guy who gives all the pressure. So this is going to be a close game. But Nick Chubb is the difference maker. He's going to blast by this Miami defense and he's going to be rushing over 100 yards, being used in the passing game, going over 50 yards. Browns win because of Nick Chubb. Pittsburgh is going into Cincinnati to take on the uh, the Bengals. Doesn't seem like a lot of fun here because we know what's going to happen probably. Although they don't have Marquise Pouncey, doesn't mean that, that they're not in trouble. They're not in a massive amount of trouble, but I will say Cincinnati is not going to go down without a fight. Minka Fitzpatrick's definitely going to pick off Finley this week. There's no doubt about it. Finley's at least throwing one or two picks. That Steelers secondary is dangerous. They're going to they're gonna get after him. And because of that, it's going to be a good week for the Steelers. Low scoring game, but the Steelers end up winning over the Bengals. The New York Giants are going to walk into Soldier Field to take on the Bears. Definitely one of the hardest games I've had to pick because Mitchell Trubisky, I'm sorry, but you are just you're just not helping this team anymore. You're not helping. You're making things worse. I can't I can't make a case for you anymore. I'm done. So, this is where I have to tell you the Giants have a chance to win this game and this was basically a toss up for me. As great as that Bears defense is and how they're going to shut down Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley this week, I can't stand here and tell you that I can't stand here and tell you that the Bears offense is going to be strong enough and consistent enough to beat the Giants. 
I can't say it. The Giants may actually get the win this week. But I'm going to go with my gut, and every time I go with my gut, I end up somehow regretting it. I'm taking the Bears. Not because I want to, but because... Sorry, not because I have to, but because I want to. I want to believe in Trubisky. I'm giving you one shot. If you lose this week, I guarantee you I'm not picking the Bears anymore unless it's a very, very obvious loss. I mean, obvious win. Like, you're playing the Redskins or the Dolphins or the Bengals. That's the only way. But right now, I'm taking you over the Giants. Prove me wrong, Trubisky. Win this game. Come on, man. I believe in you. Next game up here, Denver's going to visit Buffalo. The Bills. Denver's got a very good defense, top five in the league overall. Buffalo had a nice week last week. Josh Allen, very good rebound week against the Dolphins. Had a great performance. But doesn't hide from the fact that you're going up against one of the best secondaries in the NFL and that you're going against a team that gets a lot of pressure every time. So... Now the Buffalo is taking this on. Their offensive line is going to be questionable. Not going to be able to hold on too long. Allen's going to panic, throw a couple picks. This can definitely be a big loss for Denver here, for Buffalo here. But I can't explain to you how good that Buffalo defense is too. They're like neck and neck, those two teams. And not having Joe Flacco is going to change this game up. I know Brandon Allen had a good week last week in the first half of the game. But I can't sit here and tell you that it's going to happen again. He's going to have another good week. So because I'm not believing in this third-string quarterback, Brandon Allen, I'm going to stick with Buffalo for the win. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'll take I'll take the heat for it. Buffalo wins against Denver at home. Tampa Bay is going to walk into Atlanta. Atlanta's on a two-game win streak, and they're moving really well. Um, their defense has really stepped up and played well against the Panthers, they somehow beat them, and the Saints. Now Tampa's walking into Atlanta, and they have not been a good road team this season. So, because of that, and because Winston has something to prove, and he's going up against secondary that's slowly, slowly getting better. Very slowly. I think he's going to make a couple crucial mistakes. Matt Ryan, given that they have the, I believe, third best passing offense in the league. Atlanta's going to take advantage. Calvin Ridley and Julio are going to have a big day. Again, Falcons are going to win. Tampa, taking another serious loss. You're out of playoff contention. Whatever. You're, you're done. You're done. It's over. Moving on now into Jacksonville going to Tennessee. After watching what I saw last week, I'm not impressed. I'm not happy with the Jaguars. And Nick Foles just came back, and I'm not happy. Whew. Hate to say it, Tennessee's going to get another one at home against Jacksonville. They're going to get the revenge. They're going to split the series this season. Jacksonville got the first win with Gardner Minshew. But this time the Titans get the revenge at home and they're going to beat Jacksonville. So Ryan Tannehill has a good day. They beat the Jacksonville Jaguars. Dallas going into New England, Gillette Stadium to take on the Patriots. Definitely game of the week. I think Prescott, with the way he's been playing, is the number one quarterback right now. Not even the number one quarterback. Top five quarterback in the league right now. It's hard to deny what they can do. Plus, you still got Ezekiel Elliott out there in the run game with Tony Pollard against Patriots defense, which is very good this season. A very good run defense and a passing and a secondary. 
But I don't know if it's going to be enough to beat the Cowboys. A little unsure about it. But again, we're talking about Tom Brady here having to beat this sec- this beat-up secondary for the Cowboys. Again, Jeff frickin' Heath going to get destroyed this week. I am taking Tom Brady and the Patriots in a nail-biter to beat the Dallas Cowboys in Gillette. Moving on now to the Sunday night football game on NBC. The Green Bay Packers are going to strut into San Francisco to take on Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers. Big game here. I'm very confident in this pick. I'm taking San Francisco. And the reason why, I'll tell you right now, that secondary and that pass rush for the 49ers are just so good. Aaron Rodgers is going to be under a lot of pressure all night. They're going to stuff Aaron Jones tonight on Sunday night. Aaron Rodgers at least throwing one pick. It's going to be a fun game to watch because his defense is going to give Rodgers hell. They're going to give Aaron Jones hell. Meanwhile, San Francisco offense isn't going to be in better shape, but doesn't mean they won't walk out with the win, and I think it's because Green Bay's defense is not like San Francisco's. And because San Francisco's offense has to play against that, I think they're going to be more than more than well prepared to take on this team. So I got San Francisco beating Green Bay. Going to be a good game. Probably maybe close, but I'm not sure. I think it's going to be a little bit more than that. Not It's going to be more than a touchdown for a margin of victory, but not more than like 14, like two touchdowns. It's going to be close-ish. But San Francisco basically beats Green Bay. At home. And now we move on to Monday Night Football on ESPN. Oh, don't you just love Booger McFarlane? <laughs> oh, I love his offic- I love his broadcasting and him being in the booth. Definitely shouldn't have been Pat McAfee, right? Oh. Anyway, Baltimore's going into the LA Coliseum to take on the Rams. And I don't know how you don't pick Baltimore here after the bad week that the Rams had to deal with with Jared Goff taking on the Steelers. I don't know how you can back him this week. I don't. I don't believe in him. I don't. I think unless Gurley has a monster day and that defense locks down Lamar Jackson, I don't think the Rams win it. And the Rams won't win it, unfortunately. So I'm gonna have to take the Ravens here. Gonna be close at first, but then they're gonna. Break out in the second half and they're going to win it. That's how the Ravens are going to work. And that's the final pick for week 12. So just to recap. Indianapolis is going to go into Houston. And walk out with a broken leg. Because Houston will win. Seattle traveling to Philadelphia at Lincoln Financial Field. And fly out with a W. Detroit goes into Washington to take on the Redskins. And emerge victorious. Oakland is going to head on over into MetLife Stadium and steal a victory. The Cincinnati Bengals are going to... Not the Cincinnati Bengals. The Carolina Panthers are going to go into New Orleans to take on the Saints. And the Saints will walk out with the victory at home. Miami is going to strut all over into First Energy Stadium to take on the Browns just to get pummeled. The Pittsburgh Steelers go into Cincinnati and walk out with the victory. The Giants are going to travel into Soldier Field into Bear Country just to get mauled by those Bears. Bears get the W. 
The Denver Broncos head into Buffalo and walk out wondering what they were thinking. Buffalo wins. Tampa Bay goes into Atlanta and the birds abuse them. Atlanta beats Tampa Bay in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Jacksonville heading into Tennessee, ready to take them on, beat them at home to take the season series. Fortunately, Ryan Tannehill goes crazy, and the Tennessee Titans end up sending the Jaguars home with a loss. Dallas taking on New England, good, good game. But it doesn't matter because Tom Brady's on the sideline, and he's going to make something happen. New England beats Dallas in a close one. On Sunday Night Football on NBC, you have Green Bay taking on San Francisco in San Francisco. Force San Francisco to emerge victorious and make Rodgers look like a bum. Not actually, but you get the point. And then on Monday Night Football on ESPN, you see Baltimore walk into the LA Coliseum, take on those Rams, and tear them down in the second half probably. The Ravens swoop, swoop in and take the W away from the Rams. And that is your Week 12 predictions for these games brought to you by the Sideline Statsman. Which now brings me into the Change My Mind segment this week. So before I get into that, let's talk about last week. I've received the most engagement I've gotten since I started the Change My Mind segment when I mentioned Josh Jacobs. And I'm very impressed and I'm very happy by it. Raider Nation, you really stepped in to help me give some debates here. And some outside fans too. I really like it and I thank you guys for commenting and getting active with the post. So after looking through every comment... I've picked out one which really spoke to me. And I think it wasn't about the actual element of someone being better than the other. I think it was just the sarcasm and the comedy behind it that made it so good. So, here it is. Beasley 16, B-A-I... S-L-E-Y-1-6 stated in one of the funniest comments I've read so far, clowns two weeks ago, quote-unquote, Minshew will win it. You know, if you know the Spongebob chicken meme, you got it. Minshew will win it. So I want to address this very, very seriously. Throughout the first three games, Minshew was playing at a very high level, and I was very impressed by his performance. I saw him as a starting quarterback in this league. I thought he was going to be something great. But after those three games, he started playing tougher defenses, started getting adjusted to the role a little too much, buying into that little Minshew mania we created. And because of the media publicity surrounding him, it kind of propelled him to an expectation and blinded us to what he really was. Minshew is a good quarterback, don't get me wrong but I think he's meant to be more of a backup than a starter. So Minshew did a good job at first. The first three games, he was definitely in the running for Rookie of the Year, but afterwards, killed his candidacy, and now that he's been benched for Nick Foles, it seems unlikely. And I love the comment made because two weeks ago, he's right. People were coming out saying, yes, Minshew, 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 completely bypassing the facts about Kyler Murray being the best rookie quarterback statistically so far and bypassing how good Josh Jacobs has been bypassing Nick Bosa's strength at the D-line right now, and pushing aside even Josh Allen from the Jaguars. Why not? Pushing away the teammate. Sure. Josh Allen's been incredible, by the way. Allen, now Max Crosby, too. The defensive end from Oakland. Pushing him aside, too. Yeah. So, if you were to ask me, 
Minshew doesn't deserve it. It's still Josh Jacobs to me. But thank you for the comment, Baisley16. I very much appreciate it. That was a great comment. Made me laugh a little bit. That was that was why it's the best one. I heard some comments talking about Minshew or Kyler should be the uh, the rookie of the year, and I still disagree with that completely for Minshew's sake. But I do think that there is a case you can make for Kyler. Still believe it's Josh Jacobs, though. Even though he had the fumble last week, his first fumble of, of the NFL season, he still went off and put up over 100 yards rushing, and that's something I love. A player that can rebound from a mistake. And that's what he did. So yeah, Josh Jacobs, still my rookie of the year. So now, moving forward, here we go. Our new debate topic of the week. I'd give you a drum roll, but it's not going to sound good on the mic. So, here it is, your Change Our Mind segment. Since it's a history theme, I'm going to go historical here and make it fun. Here it is. We've seen plenty of Super Bowls. There have been 53 Super Bowls played, all of them unique and different in their own sense. We've seen great games, great moments. The greatest show on turf being the Titans because the Titans came one yard short of a game-tying touchdown. We've seen the Steelers and the Cardinals where the Steelers won on a San Antonio home on San Antonio Holmes making an incredible toe tap and catch in the end zone to win the game and give the Steelers the lead. We've seen incredible comebacks. We've seen blackouts in games. We've seen teams completely demolish each other. But the question we always ask is, what was the greatest Super Bowl ever played? And to me, I say, Super Bowl 51 was the greatest Super Bowl ever played. Changed my mind. Here's why. I'm going to tell you really quick why Super Bowl 51 is the best before everyone starts calling me a Patriots bandwagon. Here we go. I've seen great Super Bowls happen. I started watching football because of Super Bowl 42. Living in a household where everyone was a Giants fan and I wanted to be different because of where I was from. So I chose the Bucks, The Buccaneers. So I watched this game. Super Bowl 42 was what really got me into football. I watched the David Tyree catch happen in real time. I was seven years old watching that catch happen. And I remember saying to myself, that's so such a great catch, and I was obsessed with it and watching the Giants beat the best team in football, one of the best teams in NFL history. And I couldn't I couldn't help but just get this love for that game. And I know how great Super Bowl 42 is. It's still argued as the greatest game of all time, Super Bowl wise. You can argue Super Bowl 43. San Antonio Holmes constantly going back and forth. James Harrison's 99-yard return for a touchdown. You can do that. You can talk about how San Antonio Holmes made that incredible catch in the end zone to win it. Forget about Larry, Larry Fitzgerald's incredible play to give the Cardinals the lead before the Steelers got the ball back. How every single drive was essential to how the game would turn out. We could go into that game. We could go into possibly even... Super Bowl 46, the Manningham catch. We could go into, uh, if you want to even go further ahead, we can go into Super Bowl 52 even, if you want to, with the Patriots and the Eagles going back and forth until the Eagles finally got a big crucial stop on Brady to win the game. To get an interception off of him to win the game. Was it a fumble or an interception? I don't know, it was two years ago. The fact of the matter is, out of all those games... I picked Super Bowl 51. And why did I pick Super Bowl 51? 
Patriots and Falcons, you're going against a team that's an underdog. The Falcons were not favored to win that game. The Patriots were. The Patriots go in, and they're just not ready. They're not playing at the level they should be. At one point, you're almost at the end of the third quarter, and you're down by 25 points. Most people would turn off the television at that point. I was at a friend's house, planning on sleeping over, watching this game. I I wasn't feeling well. So when the score was 28-3, I had somebody pick me up and take me home. When I got home, I saw the Patriots score a touchdown. I'm like, okay, cool. It's one touchdown, not a big deal. Third quarter, third quarter just ended. And then I, hear, I remember my dad telling me, watch out. He's like, this is Brady we're talking about. I'm like, yeah, right. Nothing's going to happen. All of a sudden, I see them start coming back. We got a defensive stop. Now, Brady goes down the field to score a touchdown. Now, they're within 10. Now I'm sitting here, still 10 minutes left in the game. This Within 10, I'm like, okay, maybe this game is different. The Falcons go down the field, they kick a field goal, boom. Now they got the lead back. I'm like, yeah, 13 points, let's go. The Patriots go up. And they go down the field, they score a touchdown, make the two-point conversion. Now they're down by about a touchdown. They're down by a touchdown, pretty much. Falcons try to go down the field, try to score. They get stalled. Then the two-minute drive. Here we go. Patriots going down the field slowly, working their way down. Brady gets them in position. Brady gets the touchdown. Boom. Tie game. The Patriots tie the game. We're going to the overtime for the first time in NFL history. Here we go. In the history of the Super Bowl, we have our first overtime in the Super Bowl era for the Super Bowl. And who gets the ball? The Patriots get the ball. So I'm sitting here. I'm like, oh my goodness. I had a panic attack. My dad looked at me like like the Patriots just won the Super Bowl. He literally got up and walked off and didn't even sit on the couch. He got off the couch and walked away. I didn't believe it. I stood there. I'm like, there's still a chance. I know the Falcons can stop them. Come on, Atlanta. Come on. I'm rooting them on. Keep in mind, someone who grew up a Bucks fan is rooting for the Atlanta Falcons to beat the Patriots. You know how much I don't like them. So... Here we go. The Patriots start driving down slow, just working and breaking down. Every single play was breaking down the Atlanta defense. And they kept pounding the rock and kept throwing the ball short and getting the first downs. So I'm watching, I'm watching. They finally get to like the three-yard line. Then they, give the, then they give the toss to James White. James White takes it. I'm watching him run the edge. He goes down. But they ruled it a touchdown. They had to review if it was a touchdown. I remember sitting there watching his knee go down and the ball being short. And I said to myself, this ball is short. This should not be cold. This is not fair. The Patriots should not be winning the Super Bowl right now. Because I was upset. I didn't want them to win. And all of a sudden, here they go. They're reviewing it. I'm watching. I'm like, oh my God, it is a touchdown. It is. They just won the Super Bowl. So all of a sudden, I hear the refs go out. And there you go. The Patriots officially celebrate. They won the Super Bowl, they came back from 25 points down to force an overtime the first time in the Super Bowl era. And here we go. They go down the field. They score a touchdown by a hair to win the Super Bowl. And one of the greatest comebacks in the history of the NFL. But no, that game shouldn't be number one, right? Of course not. No. My experience with that Super Bowl was something I will never forget watching. Because it taught me that no matter what happens in a game, you're never out. 
You are never out of a game. Ever. Doesn't matter who your quarterback is. Doesn't matter how bad your receivers are playing or your defense. Everything can change in the split of a second. And that's what happened. And they turned an entire game around when they were down 25 points. And won. They forced an overtime and they won. As much as I don't like the Patriots, that was one of the that was the greatest Super Bowl I ever watched. Super Bowl 51 was the greatest Super Bowl ever. Changed my mind. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at t.sideline.statsman and at on Twitter at tstatsman so you can see this post because I'm going to be putting a post up and you get to comment, like it. Again, thanks to Baisley16 for commenting and giving that great comment on last week's post. And, yep, you just got featured on this podcast. Congratulations. So, what a great segment. Let me guys, let me know even what your favorite Super Bowl was. What was your favorite Super Bowl? Was it Super Bowl X? Was it the Dolphins beating the Redskins to complete their perfect season? Was it when Joe Montana got his first ring? You know, with the famous drive against the Bengals to get his one of his Super Bowl rings? You know, his four? Or was it something else? Make sure to tell me. You can be as honest as you want. If you want to say I'm wrong, go right ahead. Tell me a story about why your why that Super Bowl was your favorite and why it was the best Super Bowl ever. I'll be glad to listen. Thank you guys again. Let's move on into the next segment now. The final segment, winners and losers. Again, this week we're going to have one player and one team loser and one player winner and one player loser as well. So player and team winner, player and team loser. Now for that player again, it could be a player, a coach, or an executive, whatever it has to be. So starting off this week, we're going to go with the winners and alternate between back and forth. Starting off with winning teams. My winner this week for the teams is the Atlanta Falcons. And the reason why I'm going with the Atlanta Falcons is you had one of the toughest seasons yet. I was very disappointed in this team. They got a win last week. I was so happy they got the win against New Orleans. It was well-deserved. They finally got that win. I was like, okay, that was a fluke. They're playing Carolina. It's a little bit of a tougher team. Of course, me not knowing the stats at that time. Again, I did think that Carolina was the better team, even though they weren't. So Atlanta goes in, plays Carolina, and not only did they beat Carolina, they freaking destroyed them. The final score of the game was 29-3. The Falcons won 29-3 over the Panthers. Matt Ryan was 21-31 for for 311 yards and a touchdown. Not the best stats, but also good enough to prove that he did a great job that game. As for the defense, though, four interceptions on Kyle Allen. What a performance from them. That secondary and that defense really put a lot of pressure that game and forced Allen to make some tough throws that he could not execute on. And now they're even questioning if if they should let Cam Newton go. Trust me, they're questioning it. So, again, this was great for them. This was just great. Great game. For the Falcons, great game for Matt Ryan, Calvin Ridley, the, the Atlanta defense. They really stepped up. They really fixed their game, and I'm very impressed by it. Let's see if they can keep it going against Tampa. I want to see it. They're doing really well. But let's get serious. My losing team this week is the Jacksonville Jaguars. 
And why did I choose the Jacksonville Jaguars? They lost 33 to 13. And who was that loss to? The Indianapolis Colts. I picked the Jaguars thinking, oh, Brian Hoyer's going to play. Not Brazette. Brazette does play. So I'm like, oh no, I can't change my pick. So I had to stick with my pick. The Jaguars go up against him. I'm praying the Jaguars somehow hold him down. They beat Brazette. They force him to make some bad plays. But what happens? They blow them out on D- on offense. The Colts blow them out. Nick Foles comes back from injury just to throw an interception. He didn't have a bad game. But his team sure did. Leonard Fournette only had 8 carries for the game for 23 yards. That is just short. I'm not kidding. Of 3 yards per carry. Not even 3 yards per carry. It was less than that. Because he didn't get 24 yards. No touchdowns either. But not even that. Jacksonville beat them in a lot of categories. So why did they lose by 20? They're not disciplined. They're not disciplined. They're lacking it. Eight penalties. Eight. When you have that many penalties, in case you guys don't know, which you guys should know, which so I know you're going to know this, Penalties are negative. So penalties are going to hurt your chances of advancing the ball downfield or keeping the team, other the other team from advancing the ball. You see, I'm getting so heated now, I'm starting to boil a little bit, and now I'm stumbling. So eight penalties is a lot. That's a lot. And that is going to slow your progress in the game down and help the opponent get the advantage on you. Not good. Not good at all. But no, let's keep going here with one more thing. Time of possession is important in a, in a football game. The more time you have with that ball, the more control you have of the game. Jacksonville had less time with the ball than the Colts. By about seven minutes. By about seven minutes separation. Not good whatsoever. Jacksonville didn't have the ball long enough to make a significant difference in the game and allow Nick Foles to make changes. So that definitely affected them a lot. So, yeah, Jacksonville, come on, get your act together, let's go. Get back in the groove, go into Tennessee, and get that win. Although I already know you're not getting that win, but come on, come on, put some effort in there, get that win. Thank you. And again, Nick Foles... Better have a big game. You have to have a big game if you want to beat the Titans. Let's jump into winners for players. This week I'm going with Kirk Cousins, quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings. What a game. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people are going to disagree with me on this because it was a close game that came down to the end zone play where they had three chances to score from the five-yard line and the Broncos couldn't score in any of those three because the defense was that good in the red zone. Now, although that's the case, either way, I still would have put Kirk Cousins on here. Why would I? Now, okay, never mind. But because they won the game, I'm going to put Kirk Cousins on here. If he lost, I still would have considered it. 
Well, the reason why Kirk Cousins is on here because he only missed six passes the whole game. He was 29 for 35. On those 35 passes, he only missed six of them. And that's good. That's really good. So he completed 29 of his 35 passes for 319 yards. Keep in mind, no Adam Thielen. Three touchdowns, no interceptions. That is really impressive, especially given the receiving core you have to pull that off. That's pretty good. And his passer rating from that game was a 133.2. 133.2. That is the best passer rating of the week among all qualifying quarterbacks. Amazing game. Kirk Cousins made something out of nothing. With players who weren't starters, he took them and he gave them the yardage they needed to succeed. Same thing goes for Dalvin Cook. Same thing goes for Stephon Diggs. Stephon Diggs was the number one receiver on that roster for that game, and he still balled out. Kyle Rudolph had a great game for the Vikings. I can't see enough how good the Vikings did in coming back, getting back into the game, and beating the Broncos after being down 20 points. And the funny point is, when they were down those 20 points, Kirk Cousins still only had one complete, one incompletion. He was 11 for 12. They just weren't allowing him to create plays where he could throw down field. They weren't using those kind of formations. So when, after halftime, that's when they started telling him, throw the deep ball. So when they started putting more routes out there where the receivers went deeper and they can utilize Stephon Diggs' speed, that's when they had more success. So they kept doing it. And that's how they got back in the game and that's how they won the game. Absolutely impressive stuff. Great job in the second half getting back into it. But all around consistency from Kirk Cousins was what we needed. And he did just that. Great job. You definitely earned my spot for Player of the Week. But now, losers. The losing Player of the Week. I should give this to Phillip Rivers after what he did against the Chiefs. But I'm not going to. I'm going to give it to the guy who's the new starting quarterback for the Carolina Panthers, Kyle Allen. I usually don't do this to a guy I like very much, but again, I'm a facts guy. I'm a statistics guy. You got to keep your emotions out of this kind of stuff and how you feel about a player. So Kyle Allen is my loser this week, losing 29 to three to the Falcons. Why am I putting him on here? In simple terms, 31 for 50, 325 yards. Again, not good numbers right now. They're about, they're less than, they're about average, maybe a little less. No touchdowns. Four interceptions. Four interceptions. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll wait. I'll wait. I'll wait. I'll wait. I'll wait. I will wait. For a 47.5 passer rating. No, I did not make up that number. 47.5. Come on. Poor protection from the Panthers offensive line meant that the only way of getting an offense going was Christian McCaffrey. And Christian McCaffrey was being stuffed the entire game. He couldn't score a touchdown. Fantasy owners cried. I guarantee you they cried. They threw the ball too much in the air, relied on it too much, expecting Allen to have a great day abusing that secondary. But whatever happened, Dan Quinn figured it out, and he stuffed him. He stuffed him like a bear. Like when you, when you hurt, when you bag an animal. Trophy hunting. And you stuff the animal and hang it up as a trophy? That's basically what happened to Kyle Allen. The man who was legendary, who was doing really well, taking over that job from Cam Newton. Throws four interceptions and gets destroyed by the secondary and the defense itself. They sacked him like four times. 
They sacked him about three or four times. They got pressure on the entire time. He dropped back every time. He was under pressure almost every snap. I can't explain to you what they did, but when they brought those blitz sets, Allen suffocated. So now we know the secret. If you blitz Allen, you will succeed. That's what I've learned. So now, blitz Kyle Allen every time and you'll win the game. Cool. That's how you beat the Panthers. Thanks. That's all I needed to hear. That's the only way you're going to win. Kyle Allen has to do a better job and the offensive coordinator has to do a better job of designing plays for both assets of the game to succeed. The run game, the passing game, whatever you want to do. Either way, this is on the offensive coordinator too for not designing plays and not making the right play calls. Ron Rivera's job is in the hot seat. Guaranteed. Nobody see is hotter right now than Ron Rivera. He just dropped a loss to a Falcons team who had Dan Quinn as a question mark for next season. As the head coach. But because he's had a late surge and doing well with the team, guarantee you Ron Rivera's seat is a lot hotter right now than Dan Quinn. After the hot start they had, they've dropped two games in a row. Not good whatsoever. They have to find a way to get back on track soon or they are not making the playoffs and Ron Rivera will be out of a job. And maybe if he's out of a job, that might be a good thing for the Panthers organization. But you know what? I don't want to go there. I'm not going to attack a person like that. The fact of the matter is, Kyle Allen, you need to do better. Offensive coordinator for the Panthers, you've got to do better. This is all around an offensive issue. They've got to get that sorted out and figured out before the next game against New Orleans. But yeah, you guys got to step up. But hey, that's going to do it for us here at the Pigskin Pulpit. I'm the Sideline Statsman. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at TStatsman and on Instagram at the.sideline.statsman. Make sure to also comment on the Change My Mind post and turn on your notifications to make sure you get updates whenever we post. I'm going to try to post more so you guys get better content every day. Once again, this is the Sideline Statsman, and you've been listening to the Pigskin Pulpit. We'll see you next time. Have a great day, everybody.